Hey, good morning once again. Glad to see you guys who have uh, kind of tried. I'm glad to see everybody, but the guys who and ladies who have trickled in a little bit uh, late this morning, we just welcome you here. If you just joined us online, we welcome you here. My name is Chris, and I am the lead pastor here at Hope Springs Church, and we are just so glad that you are choosing to spend this rainy Sunday morning with us here in Pasadena. We love it. Um, I, I got a little secret. I got a little confession, maybe. Maybe not a secret, because if you know me, you probably know this already. Uh, but a little confession, a little confession this morning. Um, I really, 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 really like comfort. I really like having things in my life that make my life easier. How about you? I really like having things in my life that kind of set me a little bit above. I can. You know, and, and the thing is, and, and the thing is, I, I wasn't always, I didn't grow up that way. Uh, we grew up um, without a lot. In fact, you know, it was a running joke at my house that we would shop for school clothes and play clothes at Dollar General store. That was true. Um, we, we didn't live just paycheck to paycheck. We lived like paycheck to two weeks out paycheck. That was kind of how my house, you know, was. And uh, there was always more week left at the end of the money. It was that kind of thing. But I have really grown as I have gotten out on my own, as I have gotten out into my own kind of making my own life. I have really grown to love the things of comfort that I have in my life. I can remember when I got some of these things. I remember, I remember when I bought my very first thin screen LED television, not one of those big old fat boxes that weighed like 600 pounds. You had to carry them down the steps, right? But a thin screen television, I'm going to blow your mind when I bought this 32 inch television, which was about the biggest television you could buy in the day was a thousand dollars. Now you can buy them for $129 on sale at Target all day long. In fact, we got like six of them back there in the, in the kids' room. I remember, I remember when I got my very own first refrigerator that made its own ice. I mean, that's a concept right there. Anybody remembers those old ice cube trays and those old metal ones? You remember your grandma had those metal ones with the thing that you had to pull up? I remember that. I remember. Now, this, this was what I consider the pinnacle of comfort in my life. I remember the very first automobile I had with heated seats. I mean, you know, there's nothing better on a cold winter morning than slipping into your car and having them seats just warm your butt. Except, except when I got the car with the remote start. So now I can just sit in my house, start the car, and the seats warm up for me, and the steering wheel's nice and toasty. The interior's a cool 82 degrees. And everybody else is walking through their car with a little scraper, scraping the stuff off. I love, we all love comfort. Everybody loves their comfort around here. Maybe as I've been talking about my kind of, you know, comfort achievements, you've been thinking about the thing that you love the most in your life. The truth is, we are a culture obsessed with living our best life, aren't we? That's what culture teaches us. And if you look at anybody's social media, if you look at all your friends and all that kind of stuff, that's what it is, right? I call it fake book for a reason because everybody is showing you their best life, and not only that, but they're hashtagging it, right? 
best life ever, living my best life, all this kind of stuff. We take pictures of everything to show people how comfortable we are, how much we're living our best life. We go out to dinner. We think people actually want to see the plate of food on our table, so we take a picture of it and we put it up on Facebook. We go out on a date night. We think people really are interested in that. We take pictures when we work out. Now, we don't take pictures of us working out. What we take pictures of is the cute workout outfit, right? And we put those up there. We take pictures of everything. We want to make sure that people know we're living our best life. And we cannot forget, we cannot forget the quintessential picture of living your best life. Two knees facing towards the ocean with a picture. Bonus points if you got a fruity drink with an umbrella in it. I saw one of those on Facebook one time. It was like a split picture. So the top was that. It looked like two knees facing out to the ocean, and the bottom showed it was just two hot dogs. <laughs> it's what we do. It's what we do. We love our comfort. And here's the thing. We've worked for it. We've earned it. We deserve it. We're going to grab all the comforts this world has to offer, but I want us to be careful. We've been in this series called Chasing Carrots, uh, the endless pursuit of more. We've talked about how we chase fame, even if it's these little micro doses of fame. We talked about how we chase money and things. We've talked about how we chase perfection. We talked about last week, Dave brought the message and talked about how we chase approval in this world. And if we think about it, if we think about all four of those things, fame and money and perfection and approval, they all point us towards today's topic, which is our endless pursuit of comfort. But I got to tell you that of all the topics we've talked about, our endless pursuit of comfort is probably the most dangerous of all of them when it comes to affecting our walk with Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dig in and unpack what God has to say to us. Father, amazing God, we are so desperate to hear from you. We are a society obsessed with bigger, better, more. We are a society obsessed with showing people how much we've made it and how comfortable we are in this life. But as we're going to see in just a little bit, that's not the way you have designed it. That's not what you have in store for us. And so, Father, I ask that you speak your truth into this place today, that you speak your truth into the hearts of all of us, that you take over this place, that there be no doubt that you are with us. And as always, God, I pray that we leave here transformed, that we leave here changed, different than when we walked in. <coughs> And, Father, we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And together as a church, we'll say amen. If you're at home, uh, type amen. Um, there's no doubt, no doubt, we all struggle, I'll say. Maybe you don't consider it a struggle. We all struggle with this pursuit of comfort in our lives. We don't think anything of it. As I said earlier, we've worked for it. We've earned it. We, we, did the, we paid the dues. We did all that stuff. But it is probably, as I said, the most dangerous of all the things we can pursue in our life when it comes to talking about our walk with Jesus, our dependence on Jesus, our relationship with Jesus. The gospel writer John, uh, later after he wrote the gospels, um, 
gives us a little insight into how God feels about our pursuit of the things of this world. This is in 1 John chapter 2. And he says this, 1 John chapter 2, if you have a Bible, turn there. If you have a Bible app, turn there. If you need a Bible, there's some right there. We'll make more. Don't worry about it. 1 John chapter 2 says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. John tells us right off the bat that our pursuit of comfort and loving the things of this world is not compatible with a relationship with God. If we love the things of this world, we cannot have the love of God in us. Now, he's not talking about like the world loving people or even loving our enemies. He's not talking about God's gifts. He's not talking about the blessings that God gives us in his life. In our lives, he's not talking about loving or not loving God's creation because God's creation brings glory and honor to God. He created all there was out of nothing. In the context of what John's talking about here, he is talking about when he says the world, he's talking about the systems of the world, the spirit of the world. And we know if we've read scripture that the one who is in control of the systems and the spirit of this world is our enemy, it's Satan. And Satan puts a bunch of lies in our head. Satan whispers these things in our ear like, you need that. You need that comfort. Don't worry about it. Just go get it. Go get it. Go get it. And a lot of us, look, if we're honest with ourselves in this place today, a lot of us live here. I've lived here. I still struggle with it sometimes. Where we just believe I need to have enough to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, however I want, whenever I want. And nobody is going to stop me. But John says, you're not supposed to live in that world. You're not supposed to live in that place. The system of the world, the world that John is talking about, is a life that doesn't need God. It's a life that's all about us. It's a life that we build for ourselves. And if we're honest, no matter where you are in your faith walk, no matter where you are in life, you might be, you know, in high school, fresh out of college, starting your first career. You might be middle-aged. You might be an old dude like me. You might be an older dude than me. I don't know if that's even possible. But if we're honest, if we're honest, and we think about the life we could design for ourselves, our desired life is always defined by ease more than it's defined by struggle. Nobody picks a life and says, oh, I just want to have a hard time going through it. I just want to, I just want to go through some trials. I want to light my head underwater. No, we're thinking about the heated seats and how nice it's going to be when it's 32 degrees outside that my butt is not going to be cold. I can start it from inside. I don't even have to spend more than two minutes in the cold. Our desired life is defined more by ease than it ever is in, uh, defined by any struggles in our lives. And, and if left unchecked, if we don't kind of take a step back and think about our pursuit of comfort, then what we end up doing is drifting towards lazy, comfortable, apathetic. Jesus might be there, but I don't really need him in my life kind of life. And we don't want to do that. And we know this is true. I mean, think about, think about when you started dating your wife or husband. Think about how this goes, right? Men, when we want to win that girl, 
Man, we do some stuff, don't we? We do some stuff, things we probably wouldn't do in our regular life. We're writing poems, I love you, roses are red, violets are blue, I love you, I love you, I love you, bacon, right? I mean, that's what we do. We get flowers. Remember those men? They still make them. We buy little gifts, and we write these scavenger hunt clues. They're all around the house. We're like, honey, I'll do anything for you. I love you, I love you, I love you. Women, you're not exempt from this. Because when you were trying to win the guy, you probably shaved your legs more than once a month. When you went out to dinner, you ate the side salad and a glass of water. Or you did like my wife likes to do and says, oh, no, I don't want any French fries. And then when mine come, she just eats mine. That's okay. I love her anyway. I love her anyway. You might have done like the exercise three times a week, right? But now you're married. You're comfortable. You've gotten into this life of ease. And men were like, oh, I don't think I, don't think I need to get up to the dinner table today. It's too much effort, honey. I know you cook, but could you just bring me my stuff and set it in front of me here so I can watch Judge Judy? And women, you're like, oh, I got to dress up to go out. And what that really means is you wear your going out sweats instead of the staying home sweats. I didn't even know there were two kinds of sweats. We call them fat pants in my house. But yes, I do understand there are going out sweats and there are staying home sweats. We do this. If left unchecked, we will drift to this life of, of lazy, comfortable, in, ineffective inactivity. And the truth is, is that this comfort we chase is a counterfeit comfort. It's counterfeit. It is not what God designed. It is not the real thing that he has in store for us. It's a close copy. That's what a counterfeit is, right? A close copy. It's a substitute for something that has great value, but it itself has no value, none whatsoever. Think about it. When we chase this comfort in the, in the world, when we go after the systems of this world, no matter how we do it, we're left feeling empty and unfulfilled, and that just leads us to chase more and more and more. And we're actually getting less and less and less. We get farther from God and we get closer to our own pride. We start to rely on ourselves. And this pursuit of comfort reveals two really dangerous uh, pieces of information, two dangerous things when it comes to our walk with Jesus. The first thing it does is this pursuit of comfort, this endless pursuit of comfort reveals our spiritual emptiness John says quite plainly he doesn't mix words if you love the systems of this world the love of God is not in you he doesn't say it might not be in you he doesn't say well you know you can kind of have both you can kind of live one foot in one foot out that's all right he says you love the world you can't have love for God not in you that's why so many of us feel empty. We have this hole inside. I call it the God-shaped hole. This hole inside that we try to stuff everything in this world in. All these things that make us comfortable. But there's only one thing that can fill it. That's God. God's love. God's person. God's Holy Spirit. We are left empty. With a hole. Dark. Deserted. 
if we chase after the love of this world, God is not there. We're empty. You see, God doesn't love the systems of the world. God is love. God has love. But God doesn't love the systems of this world. God has love towards the lost. God has love towards the hurting. God has love towards the poor. God has love towards those who need a helping hand. God has love towards the weak. God has love towards the faithful. God has love towards the sacrificial. And guess what, folks? We should have that same love in us that God gives to us. You cannot, you cannot live a life of comfort when God's heart is breaking. We're called to do more in this world. We are called to be his agents of redemption for his people. You cannot live a life of comfort when God's heart is breaking. If we have the, light, the love of God in us, we can't do it. We're commanded, by the way. We're commanded to be different. We're commanded to live different. We're commanded to look different. We're commanded to love different. In fact, it looks a lot like Jesus. This is what Paul writes in the church in, to the church in Corinth. He says, Christ's love compels us. That's a very strong word. It doesn't mean it suggests. It means it compels us. That's like a mandate. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one, Jesus, died for all, and therefore all died. He's going to tell us what that means. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the perfect spotless lamb who died for us and was raised again. Jesus didn't live for the systems of this world. He lived for you. We shouldn't live for the systems of this world. We should live for him. Because here's the thing. While we may look to fill up all the emptiness with the comforts of this world, he is enough. He is more than enough. He is always sufficient to satisfy every need we ever have. And here's the, the most amazing thing about this. God is glorified when we are satisfied with him. And when we're satisfied with him, it's not possible to feel empty anymore. It's not possible to feel empty. The first thing we have to be careful of is our pursuit of comfort reveals our spiritual emptiness. The second thing is this. It eliminates our need for faith. It eliminates our need for faith. If we are all sold up on ourselves, puffing ourselves up because of all the stuff we got that makes our lives more comfortable, does that really mean we need faith in our lives? Are we really leaning on God? Are we really looking to him as our source of everything, as our provider? We just finished up studying the book of Hebrews in our Bible study on Tuesdays. And by the way, um, we finished the study, but we're having pie on Tuesday. So if y'all want to join us and just have some pie, we're going to have some pie. I might have some whipped cream. Somebody's going to have pie, but I'm going to have whipped cream. I, you know, whatever it is, we're going to do that on Tuesday. So come join us. We'll talk about some stuff. It won't be Hebrews. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we read, it's commonly known as kind of like the who's who, the all-star list of people of faith in and throughout all of Scripture. And it talks about by faith what people have done, by sheer 
faith, not because of what their own effort gave them, not because of the comforts they had in their life. It says, by faith, Abel, Cain and Abel, you know, the first sons of, of Adam and Eve, by faith, Abel gave a better offering to God than his brother. You know what happened to him? His brother got really ticked off and killed him. By faith, Enoch was taken up to God. He didn't have to die first. He was just taken up to God because of his strong faith. By faith, Noah was convinced just by God's word that there was going to be a big flood. Everybody's around him being like, <laughs> Noah, yeah, right, what you building that boat for? It ain't raining in like 40 years. Noah was convinced. By faith, Abraham left his home to occupy the promised land. By faith, Sarah, who was well into her 80s, well past childbearing years, by faith, she believed that God was going to provide the son who would be the, 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 the heir to the Abraham being the father of many nations. By faith, Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, on his deathbed, spoke about the exodus of Israel from Egypt. And then by faith, Moses, who we understand wasn't a very good speaker. By faith, Moses went up to the most powerful ruler of the land, Pharaoh, and convinced him through God's working through Moses to let the Israelites go. And you want to know something? None of that was easy. None of those people lived in comfort. None of those people had a chariot with heated seats and a heated steering wheel. None of those people had a rock that made its own ice. None of those people had a flat screen tablet to write on. They didn't. They did not live in comfort. And they all needed a big faith in God for him to show up and to do the impossible in their lives. If you're wondering why God hasn't showed up in your life, maybe it's because you're leaning a little bit more towards what you can do and your life of comfort than what God can do and your faith in him. The writer goes on to say this. He's very, very clear about it. He says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, he says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it is impossible, impossible to please God. Why would we risk the strength of our faith by living a life that pursues the systems of this world and all the comforts it gives us? It's one of the biggest lessons I've learned in my life is that it's not all about my comfort. It's not all about the things I have. I do like my comfortable things. And there was a time in my life when everything I did was geared towards getting more and more comfort in my life. Automatic reclining sofas, ice makers, heated seats, automatic garage door openers, everything to make my life easier. But something changed. Maybe it was being called as pastor of this church. Maybe it was when I started with this church and was just a worship leader. But what I realized, the biggest lesson in my life is that it's not about me and my comfort. It's about you. And you and you. It's about those people out there we haven't met yet. It's about the people down the street up in Curtis Bay that we can serve and we can reach out and be the hands and feet of God. It's about having faith that God will do anything we ask through him 
if we ask it in faith. It's not about me. We cannot pursue comfort and walk by faith at the same time. The two are not compatible. We cannot do it. We cannot do one and have the other. We cannot do the other and have one. If we pursue a life of comfort, it's going to affect our faith. It's counterfeit. It's counterfeit. And if it's counterfeit, then how do we embrace true, authentic comfort? And the first thing we got to do is we got to know what that looks like, right? We have to know what true, authentic comfort looks like. When you go into a retail uh, job and you're on the cash register, uh, one of the things they do is they teach you how to spot counterfeit money. Now, uh, what they don't do is they don't put a whole pile of counterfeit bills in front of you and have you examine those and look at them and see what they look like and all that kind of stuff. In fact, they never put counterfeit money in front of you. What they do is they give you an intense training and put real money in front of you, the real authentic deal. They want you to be able to look and feel and smell and crinkle it up and fold it up and see what it looks like and, and so that, that no matter what happens, you can always recognize that this is the real deal. This is the real thing. This is the authentic, genuine article. That's what they do. And if we want to know what true, authentic, real deal comfort looks like, all we have to do is look at Scripture. God's Word tells us everything we need to know. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 3, he says this, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, listen, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. This is the biblical perspective of comfort. And this is the thing most of us chase, except we're not chasing the right thing. We're chasing the counterfeit deal. If we read this and kind of read between the lines a little bit, you'll realize that comfort and the pursuit of all things good in this world is not supposed to be a part of our Christian story. It says, we share in the sufferings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, in this world, you will have trouble. But he also reassures us and says, I have overcome this world. The pursuit of comfort and the things of comfort are not supposed to be part of our Christian story. God, God himself, the Father in heaven who created us, who created everything there is, is the full embodiment of all comfort. All the time, every day, 365, 24-7, it's God. God comforts us so we can comfort the world around us. It doesn't say, yes, amen. It doesn't say that we're going to have a really easy life and God's just going to comfort us and be all in our way. It says we're going to struggle. We should be struggling. Being a Christian should take you out of your comfort zone. And if it ain't, folks, we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong. It should take us out of our comfort zone. And if we believe, and I hope we do, 
If we believe that God and this picture of comfort is the true, authentic, real deal source of comfort, then I'm going to challenge you guys to do two things. Two things. The first thing is this. I want you guys to embrace divine discomfort. Embrace divine discomfort. Embrace the fact that as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if we are full of the love of God, there are going to be things that God allows in our lives. There's also going to be situations he points us to that may not be what we consider comfortable, that may not be what we consider easy. That's part of our responsibility. Think about it this way. I could choose, and at points in my life I probably have, I could choose to make my whole diet consist of chicken fried steak, waffles and chicken, oodles and noodles, plates full of whipped cream with a little bit of pie in the middle of it, biscuits and butter, even if they're a little bit burnt. Thank you guys on Tuesday for <laughs> giving me those. It was great, by the way. They were like soft on the inside and cracker crusty on the outside. It was an, and they already had them buttered for me, so I didn't even have to worry about that. I just went back there, got some crusty biscuits. It was good. It was good. I could choose to make my whole diet all day long about those things. Or, or I could choose to get up every morning and start my day with 100 squats and 100 push-ups and 100 pull-ups. And 20 minutes on the treadmill. Now, if I chose the first thing, that would be a comfortable life, wouldn't it? All those comfort foods just making my tummy all, you know, happy and warm and fuzzy. Or I could choose the other, which is not a very comfortable way to start your day, is it? Nope. But what's going to happen if I choose the first thing? It might feel good at first. But eventually, we're going to end up in trouble. I could end up with, like, heart disease and clogged arteries and, you know, being a diabetic, comfort foods like that aren't a very good thing for me. But if we choose the thing that is less comfortable, in fact, may cause us a little pain, may cause us a little discomfort in the beginning, and we end up healthy, stronger, more energy, more vibrant, that's what happens. This is what God does with us, by the way. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes this, James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. We don't like to hear that. Joy, trials, how are the two compatible? But he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything, mature and complete in your faith, mature and complete in your walk with God. He says the testing of our faith. I didn't even know there was a test. I'm thinking things like, is this a time test? Because I'm terrible at test taking. Is there a score? I mean, does God grade on a curve? Is it like pass fail? Can I just audit the class and not have to worry about what the score is? That's not the kind of test he's talking about. When James uses this word testing, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a hint back to um, what they used to do to refine, and what they still do, to refine silver and gold. The silversmith would take a block of silver, raw silver, and he would put it in this pot called a smelting pot, and then he would turn up the heat. And he would let that heat go, and eventually that pot would get hot, and the silver would start melting, and the silver would start bubbling, 
And raw silver is not the most clean, precious thing in the world, so all the impurities of that silver start bubbling up to the top. And they start floating on the top. It's called dross, D-R-O-S-S, dross. And then the silversmith would scrape that dross off, let the silver cool down again, and repeat the process. And every time he would do that, a little bit more of the impurities would come up to the top. He would scrape them off. And eventually, that silver, you ever notice silver? It says 99.98% pure silver. They can never get all of it out, but they get most of it out. That silver becomes so pure that he can look in there and see his reflection. And I want to ask you this question. Is it possible that the discomfort you're trying to avoid is the very heat God is using to move you in a different direction? Is it possible that the pain, that the addiction, that the depression is what God is using to mature your faith, to, to, to bolster your dependence on him, to move you in a different direction? Is it possible that the divorce that took three years and you felt like you had been taken through the ringer or the chronic illness you've had since you were 12 years old, is it possible those are the things God is using in your life rather than comfort to move you in a different direction? Maybe it's your bad job, the one you can't stand to go to every day. You can't stand to be around those people. You can't stand to be in that place. Maybe it's your hateful in-laws, you know, those ones who come in and they smile, but then they go like, oh, I see you haven't cleaned this week. When are you going to learn how to cook? That's not the way my son likes it, right? I mean, maybe he's using those people. Maybe it's the broken promises he's using. Maybe it's the child who's unreachable that you've prayed for for years and years and years and years. And there's been no movement forward. God is using those things in your life. God is constantly allowing things to happen in our life that refine us. Just like that silversmith refines the silver. He is working in our lives. There might be a little heat. There might be a little bit discomfort. There might be a little bit of stuff that we don't really like to go through. But God says, I know who you're meant to be. I know who I designed you to be. And he keeps refining us and refining us and refining us. And just like that silversmith eventually can look down into that silver pot and see his face. One day God is going to look at you and see his reflection in your face that's what he's moving you towards so you can be more like his son jesus christ it is an opportunity in your life for god to show up and show off he is working i promise you to turn your misery into a ministry it never fails all the things we've gone through Susie and i in our lives god brings people into our life that go through the same exact things. And that's not on accident. That is because God prepared us to go into that battlefield and work for God in that situation. Maybe he's just working to turn your pain into your purpose. That's what God does. I can tell you uh, with all honesty that the most valuable things in my life, the things I would consider the most valuable not things necessarily, but the, you know, my wife, my family, my children, my career, being the pastor of Hope Springs Church, the things that I hold in high regard in my life, all came as a result of God's presence in the midst of pain. Every one of them. Every one of them. It wasn't because I worked to be more comfortable. 
It wasn't because I worked to have better things. It wasn't because I did anything on my own. I went through some awful, miserable, miserable times. I went through a divorce that I wouldn't wish on anybody. It was an awful time in my life, but you know what? God brought something out of that. He was with me. He was shaping me. He was doing something in my life. Same with my career. I, I, I tell you guys this story all the time. I, I closed down my music store, filed bankruptcy. I was out of work when I met Susie. I was a catch. I was. Filing bankruptcy. And God opened the door through the midst of that pain. This church was this far away from closing its doors. This is the truth. You can ask anybody who's been here that long. This far away from closing its doors when I got called as lead pastor. I was excited. Then COVID hit. We couldn't meet nowhere. I'm like, how am I going to have church when we can't have church? But you know what God did? He showed up. And he showed off every time, every time. And you may have a similar story in your life. And if you don't, maybe it's because we're chasing comfort a little bit too much. Because God does this. God works in all things for your good. He is refining us. He is molding us. He is shaping us. And not only that, but as you go through the fire, as you walk through the trials, he is comforting you through it all. Through it all. Amen? That's good news. He is always the other man in the fire with you, and he always will be. The second thing I want to challenge you to is this. Embrace that this is not your best life. No matter what you try to make it, this is not your best life. This is what we do. We look to this life. We're like, I need to make the most of it. My time is short. I got to grab everything I can. I got to go for the golden ring. I got to have the five cars. Got to have the big house. Got to have the heated seats. Got to have the automatic ice maker. We think this is it, but it is not. It's not. This is not the end game that God designed for us. Paul says this to us in Romans chapter 8. He says, yet what we suffer now. Everybody say now. Now. What we suffer now. Is nothing. Everybody say nothing. nothing. What we suffer now. is what? Now. Let's say it again. What we suffer now. is what? Now. It's nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Later. Not here. Not now. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. When God will look at you one day and say, now you are the perfect model of what I created. God has a best life for you. He absolutely does. It's been written in his book for eternity past as long as you can remember. He designed it. He designed you on purpose and for purpose. He's got a best life, but it's not here. And it certainly is not now our souls we humans god's most precious creation were made to long for the things of heaven we were made to long for the things of eternity we should always be looking at what's in the eternal realm not in what is in the disposable realm of this world trying to fill an eternal longing with temporary comfort will always lead to an empty life It always will. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we get around this whole idea of chasing a counterfeit comfort? First thing we have to do is we have to let go of our ambition. 
Now, I'm not saying you should be lazy and do nothing. God wants us to be good stewards. God wants us to work. God wants us to plan for our future. God wants us to take care of our family. God wants us to do all that stuff. But this idea that we have to chase the best life ever and have the most toys and have the most comfort in our life, we got to let go of that. We got to let go of that, and we got to substitute that so that we dream about what God dreams, that we have a heart for what God's heart has, that our heart breaks when his heart breaks. That we look to him for comfort when we're going through the battle, when we're going through the trial. We don't go out and do some retail therapy and buy some more stuff so that we can have some more comfort. We have to allow ourselves to be burdened by the things that will draw us closer to God. Jesus says, if you hang on to your life like we do so often, you will lose it. What he means by that is if you hang on to the life tied to this world, the systems of this world, the comfort of this world, you will lose the eternal life that I have planned for you. But if you give up this life, the world, for his sake, then you save your life. Pretty neat how that works, isn't it? It requires we give up ourselves a little bit requires that we uh, give up our pursuit of comfort a little bit. When my mom died, um, and my mother, you know, I told you growing up, we didn't have a lot. Um, and she kind of lived that kind of life her whole uh, existence. She didn't have a lot. Um, she, a lot of the years they were married, my father was an active alcoholic, uh, and that was not a very pleasant scene. Uh, many times I can remember her telling me that they were uh, threatening to repossess the house or take the cars or whatever it was. I mean... You know, and, and not only that, not that she, not only did she not live in comfort most of her life, but she very rarely even lived for herself. Her goal in life was always, and I've told you guys this before. I love my mother. Um, I'm a mama's boy, no question. Um, her goal in life was always to bring a smile to somebody else's face. Her goal in life was always to look to somebody else's interest above her own. And when she passed away, listen, I've been to a lot of funerals. I have officiated a few funerals. And the sad thing is, is that at most funerals, you ever notice there's like very few people there? I mean, you think this person has lived a whole life and this is it, right? I've been to a funeral before where there was like six people. In fact, we're, we're going, uh, my work, where I, my day job, uh, one of the, the guys who works there, his father died. And my boss called me up and said, hey, I was wondering if you would go with me and a couple other people from the company because he has nobody who will be there at his funeral. When my mom passed, we had two viewings, two hours each. It was standing room only in both of those viewings. I don't know. My mother knew that many people. And maybe she knew them and maybe she didn't, but I do know this. They were there because she made an impact on their life. Not because she chased, she chased, chased comfort. Not because she wanted the things of this world, but because she stepped out in faith to make their lives better. And here's the amazing thing. While I was sad at the loss of my mom, I was not sad like you would imagine. 
because I knew that her best life hadn't come to an early end. Her best life wasn't like wasted and gone and now she can't live it anymore. Her best life had just started. Her best life was just beginning. She was now cancer-free. She was now her perfect self. She was now looking in the face of Jesus. And this is what scripture means when it says, no eye has ever seen and no ear has ever heard and no mind has ever imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Our comfort doesn't exist in this world. Our comfort exists in God. And we have to change our perspective. We can't chase a world of comfort because it's not compatible with our walk with Jesus. It's not compatible with our relationship with God. We have got to get out of our comfort zone and lean to God. Don't seek our own will. Don't seek our own source of control. Don't seek our own source of comfort. Don't seek what we think is best for us, but lean on him. In our discomfort, he comforts us. In our darkness, he brings light. In our fire, he's walking with us. In our sorrow, he brings joy. And here's the thing, he never fails. He will never, ever, ever, ever fail. Not one time. Not one time will God ever fail and he never stops he will always be your source of comfort this world will not this world will leave you feeling empty this world will leave you wondering why all that stuff you got in your closet isn't making you more happy or more joy-filled or more peaceful we got to change our perspective we got to get out of our comfort zone and we have to embrace the god of all comfort as the source of all comfort. And maybe, amen, maybe you've been caught in that endless loop. Maybe you have, where you're trying to live your best life, you're trying to chase that comfort, and then you feel empty, and so you gotta work harder to chase more stuff, and then you feel empty we've been talking about for five weeks our endless pursuit of more more things that make us think we have more in our lives but it just takes us further from jesus he is the only one who provides our fame you're already famous to him he is the only one who provides our true source of wealth we are so richly blessed by the god that we serve he is the only one who is your source of perfection He's already made you perfect. When you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, he wipes all your sin away. He is the only one whose approval we should chase. And he will be the eternal source of comfort for everything you go through. And maybe you don't know Jesus that way. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe you think you have, and you've just never actually been in that place where you prayed that prayer, said those words, and actually meant it. See, here's the thing. We can say the words, but until we come to that place in our heart where we say, Jesus, I don't want to chase these things anymore. I want you to be my source. I want you to be my light. I want you to be my savior. I want you to take care of my sin. I want you to be my source of fame. I want you to be my source of wealth. I want you to be my source of approval. I want you to be my source of perfection. I want you to be my source of comfort. Then it doesn't matter. If we don't come to him in that way, we're just chasing fake stuff, counterfeit comfort. And so, as I do every week, 
with all heads bowed, uh, if you have not come to a place where you have entered that relationship with Jesus, we're going to pray this prayer together. Jesus, I believe you are the Lord and Savior of the world. Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. Jesus, I believe you were raised three days later, defeating my separation from God. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your promise that never fails. Thank you, God, for your promise that says, whoever puts their faith in your son, Jesus, will not perish, but will live forever with you. We're so grateful that you can be the source of all the things we chase in this world. So that we cannot focus on those things anymore, but we can focus on you. We can turn toward you and we can look to you whenever we feel this pull towards the systems of this world, God. Help us, those of us who have been Christians a long time, to kind of remember that. Because we get comfortable too. We get a little bit, you know, lazy in our walk and we just kind of lean towards the other side. But help us to just change our perspective. Get out of our comfort zone. Help our hearts to break for what breaks yours. Help our lives to be dedicated 100% to being your comfort reflectors in this world so that your comfort comes to us and your comfort flows through us to the world. Finally, God, we just ask that you keep everybody healthy and safe until we meet again. And we pray all these things in the name of your amazing, wonderful son, Jesus Christ. And together as a church, we'll all say amen. Listen, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, either here or online, um, you can tell us that. You can either comment online, just say, I did it. Or there's a link, uh, you can fill out a, a connection card. On the backs of the connection cards uh, in here, you can mark that down, that I have made a decision to follow Jesus. We just want to know about it. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you, help you get involved with the Bible-believing church, whether that's this church or another church. We're okay with that. Uh, I got one more thing, one more thing, because, um, you know, we believe here in the power of prayer, right? We do. And uh, harmony, uh, what's that, the fifth? Seventh. So that's Thursday. On Thursday, Harmony is, is going in for surgery on this knee. She's been probably walking on against doctor's orders for uh, several weeks. Thank you. I keep saying it. She's like, no, the doctor told me I could walk on it. It's all right. The doctor told me I could walk on it. It's all right. Anyway, what time is it? Okay. So pray all day long. As soon as you wake up, pray. And before you go to bed, pray that Harmony surgery goes well. They get everything reconnected in there. They don't have to put, like, cadaver. Are they putting cadaver parts in? Oh, a cadaver part? Oh, sweet. Sweet. So pray for that. Keep that in prayer. I love you guys, and I'll see you next time.